We Saw Thing is a movie podcast about remakes and sequels. In preparation for Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw being released this weekend, Jay and Chris rewatch the Fast and the Furious from 2001. We Saw Thing. And talked about it. What are you smiling about? Dude, I almost had you. You almost had me. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. The following conversation has been edited for brevity. Um, so this movie sucks. <laughs> this is the most 90s movie ever. I can't believe they've built such a huge franchise around this hot piece of garbage. Listen, one, okay, it's not great. But I don't know if it's a hot piece of garbage. It is hot garbage. Dude! Dude, what are you... Come on! The acting's bad. It's so 90s dated for a movie that came out in 2001. That is true. This whole street racing thing was cool in the 90s. Not really cool in the 2000s. But I do remember seeing it in theaters... And I do remember speeding home. For sure. I remember seeing it in theaters. I remember loving it in theaters. And I remember speeding home. So the idea of family is not really in this film. Not really. Yet that's the whole premise of everything in the franchise. Yes, it is weird to look back on this with with the eyes that we have now, where we've had, what, eight movies in this franchise so far? Yeah, 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 yeah. We've had eight. With the new one actually coming out tomorrow. It's like they have built such a huge franchise here. And it's all based around family. You're right. It's shocking how many people who are quote unquote in Vin Diesel's family in this movie that don't make it into any of the subsequent films. Jordana Brewster comes back. Yes. Letty comes back. Yep. Michelle Rodriguez is there. And Paul Walker. Paul Walker is back. The only guy that I remember making an appearance after this film that was in this film is the actor who plays Hector at some of the races. Like that initial race where he comes over and he's introducing himself to Paul Walker. He's like, hey, man, I'm Hector. He shows up at Race Wars in, I want to say, Furious 7. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right before Letty races again. Yeah, she and she punches him in the face, I'm pretty sure. Yes, that is true. I'm actively scrolling through the cast list right now, and that's like, that's actually the only face I'm recognizing from more than one of these films. So, the interesting enough, in Fast 5, I want to say... The, the rival to Paul Walker shows up for, like, a scene. The rival to Paul Who do you mean? The guy who hates Paul Walker, who's, like, dying in a field. Oh, oh. He shows up for, like, one scene. I, see, now I got to go back and watch Fast Five. These are not movies that make you think. No, but I will say, I finished watching The Fast and the Furious, and I immediately started watching Too Fast, Too Furious, like some kind of sucker. I definitely did not do that. <laughs> However, I really wanted to watch Fast and Furious, which is the number four on the list. Was it five where they figured out that they're just the Avengers? Yeah, it was totally five. And that's the first time we saw Dwayne Johnson in it. Yeah. In Furious 7, uh, Vin Diesel and What's-His-Face, they smash their cars into each other head on, and then they just get out and have a fight with, like, crowbars and stuff. They are just superheroes. That's right. And he somehow can take on Jason Statham. Which makes no sense. But... Very entertaining. I mean, The Rock busts out of a cast by flexing. And for some reason has a daughter. Uh, sure. Why not? 
the thing that I I love about these movies is at this point we are not taking these movies seriously. No. But in 2001, they really wanted to be taken seriously. That's the missing piece to the puzzle. Yes, thank you. Okay, so it was all the brand names, and it was the Honda Civics, and it was the neon underneath of all the cars, and it was the electronic music, which, okay, can we just take a second? And one of my favorite artists of all time is BT, who did most of the soundtrack to this movie. And so, like, I was really jamming to, like, this weird late 90s electronic music that's totally right up my alley. But they wanted to be taken so seriously. They are all trying so hard to be good actors. (laughs) My thing was, no one is dying. Yes, some trucks got ripped off. Why is the FBI getting involved? Why are you spending all this money to put an underground possible race car driver in because a couple of trucks got ripped off? Why are they pressuring him to do it so quickly? You'd think if it was this kind of sting operation, it would be months and years in the making to take down this big crime syndicate. Yeah, and it feels like he's been there for two weeks. I mean, if you haven't seen Fast and Furious in a long time, The Fast and The Furious, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, Fast and Furious is a different film, Jay. It's a different film. What you have to understand is that a truck is driving straight down the highway. Three Honda Civics with green lighting effects drive up in front of it. Somebody shoots a harpoon into the windshield, has time to harpoon the chair of the truck, and then zipline his way. This is madness, okay? Like, at no point does the truck driver just go, you know what would really help right now? Because I'm a truck. I'll put on my brakes. I will flip that car. He just kind of drives through a construction zone. Yeah, he just keeps driving. Are you not aware of exactly what is happening right now? You just lost your windshield. Can we talk for a second just about how amazing the stunt driving was in those two sequences where the car went underneath of the trucks, though? Okay, it was pretty cool. When Letty goes through the middle of the truck, there's a brief moment where you're like, wow, that car is inches away from just being eaten by the back end of that truck. It's not quite driving fast enough. and has to play this weird, like, cat and mouse game with those giant tires. That was very impressive driving. Oh, my God. There was some impressive stuff here. The thing that I don't understand about any of the characters in this film, their reactions to everything do not make sense. Vin Diesel is so angry at his crew for leaving him behind. It was every man for themselves at that moment. Yeah, they just scattered. How were you going to find him? He went and parked in an underground parking lot. Like, In what way are you going to track this guy down? It's not like he had his cell phone out calling for help. How did Brian find him? Brian found him because he's a cop. Still, as a cop, how did he find him? Oh, it made no sense at all. Like, he, he drives down an alley and Brian's just there like, get in? Listen, Brian, I mean, if you ever want to tip your cop hat, it's probably this. <laughs> it's Well, it was just like the sequence where Vince catches Brian uh, breaking into that one shop and then is like, well, clearly that means you're a cop. How would you make that leap? And then it was just Vin Diesel go- kind of going by his gut, right? Is Wait, are you a cop? No, I'm not a cop. It's good enough for me, kid. And then off to the races they go. It's just everybody is mental in this film. But I think that that takes us away from the core 
strengths of the Fast and the Furious as a nine film franchise. Don't dig too hard. And we're ragging on a lot of the storytelling in the Fast and the Furious, but there are some enjoyable things. It is fun watching these cars perform. I really like the uh, the relationship at the beginning with Brian and Jordana Brewster's character, who I can't remember her name. Her name's Mia. Mia, yes. The tuna salad thing. I thought the joke was like, ah, pretty good joke. Yeah. And then like the fight he gets in, which came out of nowhere, which was great as well. And then Vin Diesel's like, you no longer have a job, even though he knows his friend was an asshole. (laughs) Like, this is what I mean by the overreaction. Oh, you work for Harry? You don't anymore. You were a paying customer treating my sister well. And then this guy came over, gave you shit, and you reacted. And now you don't have a job. This is where we can talk about some of the consistencies they brought forward from this first film into the rest of the franchise. And and one of the big ones is some of the character consistencies. So, like, Vin Diesel is always that kind of overreacting in an aggressive way. Brian and Mia always have this love story, and Letty is always a part of of Dominic's life, right? Like, I'm sorry, I'm like, I'm looking down at the IMDb for character names because in any film franchise of all time, none of the character names matter, let's be honest. <laughs> they really don't. I think they've also done a really good job as the franchise has worn on to, like, bring in actors and characters that kind of complement that core group. Well, nobody except except Vin is in Tokyo Drift. And I would say that Fast and Furious, this is the fourth movie at this point, is probably where the ludicrous stuff starts happening with cars. This is where they like have a big drag race through old mine shafts. It's also where Letty like dies, but then she comes back from the dead. Like this is where we enter into superhero territory. For sure. Yeah. But they set the groundwork in this first one, which is kind of impressive when you consider that at no point does it ever feel like they're world building enough to know that they would even get a sequel. That's right. And then each movie had to play some sort of role into the universe. So you get Han in Tokyo Drift. You get Tyrese in Too Fast, Too Furious. You also get uh, Ludacris in Too Fast, Too Furious. Who is now a staple, but like Ja Rule, who cares about Ja Rule? Like, what is the criteria for being able to come back? Maybe some of them didn't want to come back, because I know that's why Vin Diesel wasn't in the second one, is he didn't, at one point in his career, he didn't want to do sequels. That's right. I remember that. And now, like, sequels are his bread and butter. I think it's that at a certain point, they were making the sequels because not only were they making money in the theater, but also they just genuinely enjoyed being around each other. And you can tell as the series goes on, that makes these so fun because there's an inherent charm to them that isn't reliant on them being good actors. It's just reliant on them actually having half-decent chemistry and enjoying being around each other. And it's just fun to watch them be themselves. We can look at the rest of the franchise and say that, But when you come back down to the Fast and Furious, you don't see that inherent chemistry yet. You earn that chemistry by watching a bunch of movies of them. It's very clear having a Too Fast and Too Furious where, like, the Vin Diesel factor is very missing from that movie. It's a lot of fun, but it's fun in a different way. It's a a police chase 
It's like, here's some cops doing cop things and that's it. And then when you have Tokyo Drift, which I really hope that we talk about one day because it's a, one of, it's the only movie in the franchise I haven't seen and I'd really like to see it, but none of the cast is in it at all. No, no. Like Vin Diesel has two seconds in the film and that is it. Is it like a Nick Fury showing up at the end of Iron Man moment where like you really get a sense that they are bridging it so that they can make more movies? I don't know. You'll have to watch. Because the film on its own is just a standalone story. Gotcha. The characters in this film only show up like once in the rest of the franchise. I think in like number seven. Didn't they retcon it so that uh, Tokyo Drift takes place in the future? Because um, what's his name dies in six, right? Five or six? Oh, that is right. But that's the end of Tokyo Drift. I'm looking this up right now because you're right. I feel like that's a thing. I feel like they retconned it. So even though Tokyo Drift came out third, it's actually supposed to be like the fifth or sixth movie in the series. Maybe the seventh. You are so right. So it goes the Fast and Furious into Too Fast, Too Furious. Then it's Fast and Furious. Then Fast Five. Then Fast and Furious 6. Then it's Tokyo Drift. Then Furious 7. Then Fate of the Furious. Well, it's a really interesting way to bridge that movie into the larger universe. Because of Han's death, you get to introduce Jason Statham and have it matter. Yes. And have it matter immediately. That's right. And I bet people who watched Tokyo Drift were like, say what when they saw Fast 5 and he was there. I, I remember that end sequence in Fast 6 and then having Jason Statham walk out and I'm like, what? Jason Statham's going to be in the next movie? This is amazing. And that's like, that's another thing that these this film franchise is doing incredibly well is they seem to attract really interesting people to come in and play characters. It's just like, come on, play in our sandbox. It's super fun. Watch how fun this is. Come on, have fun with us. Oh yeah, and then Kurt Russell comes in. Yeah, and then, then, then you get Charlize Theron. Academy Award winning. Charlize Theron. In a Fast and the Furious movie. (laughs) If you showed them the 2001, the Fast and Furious, and said, hey, we're thinking of doing a sequel. You want to be in this thing? No one would say yes. Vin Diesel said no. Exactly. There's no Letty. There's no Mia. There's no Dominic. Yeah, nobody wanted to come back. This was like a super weird gamble That maybe was the first time a studio thought, hey, remember that thing from the early 2000s that people sort of grabbed onto for a hot second? What if we brought all those people back into a movie? Would it make some money? And when it did, they were like, this is happening. And I'm glad they did, because as much as these movies are just a dumpster fire, they're so much fun. You and I sat in a theater and saw a Hobbs and Shaw trailer before Spider-Man Far From Home, and we both we're just giddy children in our seats because it just looks so dumb. It is abject silliness, and I'm here for it every single time. And I don't know if we've pointed this out yet, but Spider-Man Far From Home was not a great movie. (laughs) Bye, Spider-Man. Shout out to Girlfriend Reviews. Here's the thing. There's a movie coming out tomorrow starring The Rock and Jason Statham. And The Rock yanks a helicopter from the sky with a chain. Like Captain freaking America. <laughs> this is how far we have come from Brian and Dom 
meeting in a sandwich shop. Can we also talk for a second about how far this franchise has come away from it being about street racing? It is not about street racing. Outside of the fact that these characters enjoy cars, there's nothing in these new movies that has anything to do with street racing whatsoever. Well, now it's all about whatever we can think of for a heist or save the world. Save the world! How can we get in a car and do this? They're downshifting to get in front of a submarine. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly it. Good thing this car has a good zero to 60 because I'm jumping it from one building in Dubai to another building in Dubai. Which at this point, (laughs) I have to say, is one of the greatest stunts in the history of, of cinema. Like this is historical. I cannot get enough of these movies. See, I think they realized in Too Fast, Too Furious that, like, they went a little too far. Like, they put him in a boat at one point. And they were like, ooh, you know what we shouldn't do? Any other vehicle. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, don't have him fly planes. Don't have him in boats. We just gotta... We just got to get more cars. Well, see, this is the interesting thing about doing a Hobbs and Shaw movie is now you've got two characters that really don't have any connection to cars whatsoever who exist inside this universe. So now you're world building outside of the cars thing, too. What other franchise can just step so far away from like what is what will be considered its core competency? I don't I can't think of one. I can't think of any. Yeah, I can't think of one either. I mean, now the thing is in the Hobbs and Shaw thing we do here. We need weapons and cars. Like, I'm sure cars will still be a part of this, but it looks like it's a Hawaiian street fight. He has, like, a turtle shell club going up against an army. Like, we've established how guns work in this world. (laughs) What are you doing? Yeah, but why, why, why have a gun, Jay, if you can just attack Vin Diesel with some sort of crowbar? (laughs) And one of the things I I do like is, you know, Brian, I guess, was a no good kid. So he becomes like this undercover cop. And that kind of sticks out until Fast Five. And then he is also on the run. And then it sort of becomes like an Incredible Hulk movie where you're just always running from the law. He punches the ground and the whole parking lot falls down. <laughs> he is the Hulk. But if he did it in the first movie, he would break his arm because nobody is a superhero yet. This movie is full of weird, weird plot holes. There is a great line in this movie where he's like, any racer would tell you, you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. And it's like, yeah, yeah, Brian, you had nothing. At the beginning, he's a small fish of the street racing world that he's trying to get in. Dom is sort of warming to him, but nobody else is. Clearly in his actual job as a cop, nobody respects him. At no point does anyone respect Brian really until he saves Dom, but then he breaks into that warehouse, so he's a cop, and now we're not trusting him either. Like, There's so much non-trust of Brian throughout the entire film. It's hard to be like, except Mia. Their relationship is fine, I guess. It seems more out of necessity than anything else. Well, their relationship seems to start just because she wants to piss off that other dude. But also, why are you going after Mia? Your job is to get close to Dom. If you screw up, Dom's going to kick your ass 
it just doesn't make sense to go after Mia from a accept I love her point of view. You're trying to get ingratiate yourself into their world. What are you doing? <laughs> like you're a terrible undercover cop at this point. Yes, he's objectively bad at his job. Oh, he is. He doesn't give a shit what the police force can do for him except get him another car. I mean, the coolest part in the movie for Brian is when he pulls up to Dom's place with that 10-second car that is a total junker, and they're able to fix it up together. And I'm like, okay, well, here's like a great bonding thing for these two characters. Could we also take a second to talk about how that changes the timeline of the movie? Because this, this movie legitimately could have taken place over three days... Or six months. Yeah, I have no idea. I could not tell you how long he's undercover. But it's constantly, well, you better have results for us tomorrow or we're shutting this thing down. Which, again, I don't understand why there's an, <laughs> why this thing is even happening. Like, it doesn't just put a cop car on the highway and you're cool. Why wouldn't you just put some cops in driving the semi-trucks? Great call. Also, their reactions to... This truck driver shooting at them, fighting back in some way, is so like, how could this happen? What? What do you mean? This is always so easy for us. <laughs> it should never have been easy. That man is in a semi-truck. It really does make you like go back and question how Dominic Toretto gets this amazing reputation for being the guy with the best team. Because it's not, A, a brilliant plan, and B, it's not really a repeatable brilliant plan. Oh, God, no. You do it once, that truck driver tells all the other truck drivers over his CB radio, and everyone's packing heat. And then let's talk about their plan for one of the other movies, where the plan is to just drag the safe through the streets. Hilarious. Dumbest plan ever. So dumb. Looks amazing. Looks amazing. And that's always the thing, right? Is it doesn't matter if it's a good plan or not. Is it cool to look at in a theater? Absolutely. We saw a thing and talked about it. On August 15th, the guys talk about Stand By Me released in 1986. We Saw a Thing is hosted by Kay Kennedy and Chris Shapcott. Produced by Shapcuts Media. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review in Apple Podcasts.